So one of the first things we have guests do on every episode of One Hit Wonders of the World is uh, we have them say the episode number, right? It's just a little tradition that we have. And we like, you know, we like to spice it up, put some effects on it, some zing. Uh, but we need you to also put some zing on it, which doesn't, I don't think it'd be hard for you. But I need your best episode 15. Can I get that? Listen, not trample on your pre-roll, but I'm well aware of the traditions around here and I'd be happy to. Uh, let okay, me just give it a, wonderful. Let me give it a, a good, I'll give it a call a try. Here we go. That was pretty good. Could we get a could we get a couple takes to work with? Let me try a koi one. I'll do a koi one. All right. Sure. Episode fifteen. Oh, I like that. I like a that. A mystery to it. Just in case it doesn't come out in the wash, though. Let me let me just get one more. Episode fifteen. <laughs> I sure as hell just peaked like everything doing that, but whatever. We don't care about that around here. Welcome to One Hill Wonders of the World. I am Maxton Stenstrom. I'm Trevor Ickrath. Maxton, this has got to be the quickest we followed up an episode since we started this podcast, perhaps. Yeah, this is actually, I, I was looking at this today. This is the first time we put out two episodes in the same month since the first month we ever did the podcast. That is if you edit this is, one quickly enough. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of uh, things traveling far into the future, we have are a we very talking about that. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking oh, we are, about we're going to be okay. Future tense. Yeah, future tense. Everything's about the future today. Everything is Chrome in the future. So we will be having a guest, retired CIA time traveler Duff Dixon from Play It By Year with Duff Dixon is here in the iStudio with us tonight. Duff, how are you doing? Man, I'm, uh, I gotta say, it's surreal, first of all, and exciting to be here. I don't think either of y'all know this, but like, oh wow, this show and then both of y'all play kind of an instrumental role in like kind of my, the second act of my life as a music fan. What? And well, I mean, and and who are you? Yeah, hang on. I'm Duff Dixon. Sorry, I'm Duff Dixon. I my name is Duff. Uh, Max mentioned I'm a former CIA time traveler. He is. I've actually done two shifts of time travel with them. You're a former CIA time traveler. Correct. I mean, I, I don't know. A retired? Was that? Retired CIA time traveler. I guess it might be a little bit more accurate. You'll, you'll have to forgive me for not knowing anything because Maxton hasn't really briefed me on anything prior to inviting you on the show. Nope. This is my first time hearing pretty much all of this. Listen, uh, here's all you got to know, man. In a year, uh, everybody on Earth is going to die unless the CIA time travelers can stop what is called the cataclysm. Uh, I did a shift of time travel, which was 10 billion years during which I attempted to stop the cataclysm. I failed to do so. And then a couple of weeks ago, I did another 10 billion year shift. So I'm now 20 billion years old. Right. Many times the age of the earth. And uh, and uh, yeah, as far as I know, and the next year, that's it. That's that's all I need to know? What The stuff you just said? I mean, I, I guess so. I, I, the other thing you Duff, don't Duff, know maybe Duff, is that- Duff, yeah, real sorry. Hang on. Maxton, could I could I talk to you in like the other corner of the the Skype conversation that we're? You want to go to the green room? We can go to the green room real, real quick. quick. Yeah, maybe. Hang you on, could, Duff. Okay. We got Duff. We got to leave you here. Hang on. We got to go to the green room. 
Yeah. We don't usually use this thing. We got to hang on. Just just hang tight for a sec. Yeah, I'll hang All out. Right. You'll hear a little bit of All bossa right, cool. nova music. We'll be we'll be back in a second, Def. They're, they're just going to go to the other room and talk about how I'm crazy. I've seen that look before. Maxton, who the fuck is this guy? You ever heard this? Where'd you fucking find this guy? This guy has a great uh, uh, live radio show slash podcast. Play it by ear with Duff Dixon. What, what, you ever heard of this guy? No. Where where are you? You you need to be surfing the podcast. He pretends Airwaves. to be, pretends to be time travelers. What's going on here? Pretends. It's like, like gotcha radio. What are we doing? This, this, no, this is not pretend, sir. The world's going to end, and this guy knows about it. Come on. have it. We've all believed crazier shit before. You know, we watched that Scientology documentary. Come on. All, all right. I'm. We'll, we'll do the app, but I mean, you really got to like start, like, you know. Screen do you want? Do you want to audit me. this? No. Okay. No, you just gotta start screaming guests by me in the future, right? Just See, and you, here, here's here. what we'll do. I'm gonna, you know, we can just get real personal. All right. I'll. I, I will. I will make sure that the next couple of guests we have on are people that you know and you trust. Okay. That's fine. Is that we gonna make about, you feel we can comfortable? Talk about it later. Just bring him in here. We'll do the app. We'll get it over. Okay. Come on. Okay. But, hey, you gotta trust me. Duff's a cool it's dude. Fine. Yeah. Whatever. We, bring, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. Okay. I can't okay. Little more sometimes. Come on, man. Let's go. Duff, welcome back. Thanks so much. Sorry, I had like a weird connection and I just had to like start some stuff out with Maxton. Oh, no problem, man. Hey, y'all should like start one of those Patreons and then you can, maybe you could use the money to do a little bit of green room soundproofing next I time. I can't imagine anybody willing to pay for anything related to this program, but. Nope, me neither. Maybe we'll consider it. Maybe one day. Cool. What song are we here to talk about today with, with our good new buddy Duff? I uh, invited Duff on here after we decided that we were going to be covering Zager and Evans' number one hit from the year 1968 in the year 2525, Exordium and Terminus. To a song in that I... Year, hang on, hang on. In the year... Come on, come on. That's the hard part, right? In, yeah, it's the horn part, the mariachi horn part. No woman can survive. There's something that you will find. Okay, we're good. Wow, it's like y'all were, it's, it's like I was there in 1968 again. So this is a song that I had never heard of by two dudes I had never heard of. This was something that was kind of new for me actually even picking it. I kind of wanted to go a little further back than we were a little used to reaching. Is this our earliest one? What year was Norman Greenbaum? 70. I 70. think this okay. is, I think this, yeah, this beats Norman Greenbaum by a whopping two, two whole years. years. Yep, two yeah. whole years. So th this is currently our earliest one hit wonder that we have covered. Although it is the second time on the show that we get to meet God, the first being <laughs> Norman Greenbaum's. I think, like, we haven't, he hasn't popped up on any other song that we've talked about in the interim, has, has he? If you like to work in metaphor, one can make some arguments about who let the dogs out. <laughs> That's true. We still don't know. It could have been him. <laughs> All things are possible through Christ, even, even letting, letting the, the dogs, dogs out. out. I like was doing the initial research for this podcast back a couple of years ago. And I was just going back through that document, seeing what kind of forgotten oddities were in there. And this one struck me because it was like, 
you know, the year 2020. There was something that felt like it was, you know, it was two repeating numbers. And I was like, whoa, our year has two repeating numbers. We got to do that like right now. We're running out of time. I feel like it would have been smarter to smarter to wait and have this be our 25th episode. But at the rate by which we produce content, I don't know how old we would be. <laughs> Uh, maybe Duff would Duff. You said you've been to 1968. Were you exposed to this song during your time there? I'll be honest. The diegetic music when I'm when it, during both of my shifts was kind of a. I, I just relied on my own iPod Classic generally for my listening. But I will say I did have some experience with this. Some pre. One Hit Wonders of the World experience with this song. Sure. Um, I think I was first exposed to it on another podcast. I think it was Never Not Funny with Jimmy Pardo. That guy likes to talk about 60s and 70s esoterica and mm. kind of like pointed to this as like a weird, corny thing that had happened. And I thought, huh, that is weird. Uh, but then I, I, can I just say like how crazy it is for me to be on oh wow right now this is kind of a big moment oh, for me thanks stuff no we're i'm very honored to have you i i you know i've called into your program i think that what you're doing is is great and i'm i'm just as happy that you're here man well if there were can i say if there was no oh wow there would be my show would not exist if oh. it were not for this show it's always nice to meet a fan and hear that we've inspired people by the work that we do here i'm a big fan and and l listen you're you guys are a big part of my journey into even knowing anything about music at all because you know I, i've it's 10 billion years of time travel obviously you, you struggle with depression you struggle with too much idle time i got into podcasts i'd never really been into music i think i owned two records before i, be, I began my journey in time travel i owned the first record by country duo big and rich and i owned the uh the best of Shania Twain. Right. No, sorry, it was a. Uh, it wasn't the best of Shania Twain. No, who's sucking oh? the sun? Oh, Cheryl Crow. Yeah, it was the best Cheryl Crow. Thank you. But then I, I stumbled on. Oh wow! I started listening to it. I listened to your Anita Ward episode, the Ring My Bell episode. Great classic app. And I, and I said, this is that's a catchy dang song, man. I thought maybe I should go listen to some of this disco stuff. And the rest of history, now music's like a big part of my life. I, I, owe, it, I owe it all to y'all. Oh, man. Thank you so much, dude. Uh, I'm really happy to hear that. Hey, do you know how many episodes of One Hit Wonders of the World we get to before the cataclysm? Did you, do you remember that at all? Uh, unfortunately, making predictions about the future is pretty dicey, guys, because anything you change in the history changes the future. I mean, I, I, I know what the canon is as of when I finished my last shift, but there have been you know, dozens of hundreds of people who have done more changes since me. So I, cu I couldn't tell you. Uh, I think the, ca the the rolling count at the end of my last shift, I think you got more to go before the end of next year. Okay. I was going to guess that the cataclysm might have happened because we got back on a regular schedule. Surely that would have been a harbinger <laughs> of the end times. Boys, can I say, I think I think it's a momentous occasion. I think I'm here for the worst song y'all have done so far. You think this song sucks? It's my least favorite. I don't think it's a bad song or like a bad piece of art, but it's definitely in the category of music that I would never put on and listen to. And I think the only other song we've tackled that is in that category so far has been Who Let the Dogs Out. I was going to say, gun to your head, this or Who Let the Dogs Out. And I still want to say that. I think, I think Who Let the Dogs Out is much more annoying than yeah. this song. But I think it's like a better song in terms of like <laughs> it has some polyrhythms. Sure. There's distinct, you know, bridges 
and verses and choruses in it. I think it's just like the craftsmanship there is superior to the craftsmanship on in the year 2525, at least to my taste. It's it's an interesting little piece. I'm more interested in like the fact that it was successful at all than I am interested in it as a song. The more digging I've done uh, through 1968 specifically, there was, there was something funky in the water that year. I don't know what was happening that year. It was the year that 2001 A Space Odyssey came out. So maybe these guys just watched 2001 A Space Odyssey and they were like, Fuck, man, shit their pants. They got their mind blown. Yeah, mind fucked. Well, I've been to 68. I can tell you what was in the water. If you were like a conservative nut job, you said it was fluoride and it was right. changing everybody's brains. And then if you were, a, you know, like a, a hippy-dippy nut job, then you thought that like people were putting acid in the water supply. And if you were Batman, you thought it was the Joker's laughing gas that he was using to poison <laughs> the entire population of Gotham City. I, I remember Joker that toxin, Sure. This is probably the first one that... I've pulled not because I love it, but more because like, look at this thing. Isn't it weird? Like, you know, I think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating. And um, the other fascinating thing is that this is only the second number one single we've talked about on One Hit Wonders of the World. Uh, after Ring My Bell, actually. Oh, this was number one? Yeah, this went to number one. Wow. Uh, this, this topped the charts. Xavier and Evans actually holds the distinction of being, I think, the only artist in history to top the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and the U.K. Uh, equivalent of the Billboard Hot 100 uh, and then never had a charting single ever again. One and done, truly. Duff, do you want to say anything further about how you feel about this song? Yeah, I just think it sucks. I just think like, I think the problem with it is it's, it's novelty music, but it feels like it's taking itself so deathly serious. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. Most novelty songs also happen to be fun. Yeah. This song is not fun. It's very dour. It's very dramatic. It's not enjoyable to listen to. What novelty song has like four key changes off the top of my head uh i think there might be one in the one i one horde flying purple people either but i don't think there's like multiple steps going alvin and the chipmunks ever do any key changes or were they already up too high <laughs> okay there you go but yeah this one is like what like three key changes four key changes it is excessive and i will go on record as not being a very big fan of the key change in general it's never one of my favorite moves to see Wait, pulled out in a song. Like, huh? It, I think it can be used to. They great can be effects. used well, definitely. But a lot of the time, you just get like the key change, like at the end of like "Man in the Mirror" by Michael Jackson, where it's like attempting to take the song up another level by not really introducing anything new into the mix just by altering the key and like altering the way you hear what's already been happening. But then sometimes you get I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston where the key change kind of opens up the gates of heaven and doves start flying out and stuff. Yeah, but that you owe that to Whitney's voice. Yeah. That's not yeah. you don't that's not a victory on the part of the arranger. And you know Trevor, you hit on something here. I once read the biography of uh George Michael and he said that in that biography that he was like he did a writing session once. I think it was with Burt Baccarat, and nothing came of it. But Burt told him, never do a full or a half-step key change for your last chorus. It's the laziest trick in songwriting. Exactly. And mm. he never did after that. So already, we're all 
kind of going into this one with like a little bit of a shaky foot, maybe more so than any any uh, one hit wonder we have covered in the past. Not so much, I would say, because while I don't like the song, I think it's what it lacks in being an enjoyable listen. It makes up for in being interesting. So I'm definitely looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, if nothing else, it's like it's a it's a real cultural relic of like this was num this went to number one. Yeah, it is a novelty, and there is like by definition something very novel about it. Agreed. That's a great way to think about it. In the same way that you know. The word awesome is used so much, and then sometimes you you start to reach for the word when you're filled with awe, but you're like, I can't say that it's awesome because people will not understand what I can mean. We say, can I say one more thing about this song? Please. Here's something that I've been thinking about with this song, because I feel like every time I've heard this song before I heard it for this show, there comes a point, maybe 30 maximum 40 seconds into the song where my ears have glazed over and I'm no longer paying attention to it. But like listening to it in a, with a studious ear, I, they're definitely trying to make me feel like fear and dread for the future of mankind. But nowadays, mm-hmm. the idea that we would make it 10,000 years from now feels awfully optimistic. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, I thought I thought 2525 was going to be the end. And even that was, like, farther than I think we're going to go. Seriously, before we even start this, I just want to, like, go through and, like, talk about some of these predictions. Before we do that, in order to do that, let's talk about the way this song is structured and written. Sure. Yes. Because it's not like, it's not like a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus end thing it's like like verse one verse one with different lyrics verse one with other lyrics verse one with more lyrics it's just the same verse thing. a verse a2 verse a3 and they're doing those key changes but it's still just the same like thing again and again and it gets very tedious by the end i think you know what it's structured like trevor is that five for fighting song where he's like i'm 12 <laughs> but even even that one going? even that has a chorus doesn't it yeah <laughs> yeah it does and it's a good chorus yeah it's got a chorus and each verse is devoted to a different year all of which are what like 110 years apart or so i mean it seems arbitrary uh, uh, 1010 years apart thousand no yeah yeah 25 25 35 yeah thousand i'm not very good at math i historically have a distaste for it (laughs) i do just want to talk about you know some of the bold predictions it goes and makes because i actually um as i mentioned in the last episode i've been watching a lot of black mirror lately i really like black mirror probably mostly for the reason that i can log each individual episode as a film on letterboxd uh so i'm gonna like kind of like mentally be comparing some of the doomsday futuristic scenarios they present here to like you know a a standard typical black mirror episode i mean it it is black mirror the song it is black mirror the song it kind of is yeah it's interesting to me that you just like spoke so so affectionately about two things that make me feel utterly miserable which are (laughs) watching black year and then logging things on letterbox (laughs) max wouldn't watch movies or consume media at all if he couldn't log it on the internet somewhere actually true i think it's valid everybody's different everybody's got their own taste their own ideas black mirror though like to me black mirror the trouble with that show is similar to the trouble with this song which is that like i feel like i'm not being given a particularly stimulating vision of the future 
because it's so kind of locked into one, let's call him a douchebag's perspective on society. <laughs> kind of see where you're coming from with that a little bit. And I think that Black Mirror, unlike this song, can have certain successes at like, you know, throttling your anxiety and uh, getting you more worked up over the state of current affairs than uh, the state of the distant future, which I, I think that that's something that works in this song's detriment is that it's like, it takes itself so seriously, but it's also like, it's too far away for any person who's ever hear it to care, you know? Okay, it's but even if, even if this was all happening in increments of a single minute, Maxton, until sure. the end of this song, are any of these predictions really that dire? That's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to talk about it right now. We got, in the year 2525, if man is still alive, if woman can survive, they may find. dun 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 in the year 3535, nothing happened. Yeah, in which it's the titular year. <laughs> there's no story beat there. It's like you went into a movie and you had an establishing title card that said 2525. And then it kind of rolled some of the actors' names and then it said 3535. Yeah, a thousand years later. What happens in the year that the song is about? That's what I'm here for. I can't believe I've never considered this. <laughs> I guess what he's saying. I guess what he's technically saying is if humanity lives to twenty five twenty five, then all this other stuff's gonna happen. All right, so now we're in thirty five thirty five. What happens then? Thirty five thirty five. Uh, what Zager and Evans thinks is going to happen is uh, you're quote unquote ain't gonna need to tell the truth. Tell no lie. Everything you think, do, and say is in the pill you took today. Black mirrored dystopia rating question mark. I mean, that's that's one of the more kind of like Orwellian nightmare predictions here. But again, it's like I wouldn't mind a little a little mental staycation, take a little pill and just like suddenly have clever and charming things to say all day with no effort. Hey, Doesn't sound too bad. Not to give Maxton another excuse to drop his ween at it, but <laughs> considering the amount of people take pills on a daily basis, some would say that a lot of people already live like this. All right, the dystopia meter for 3535, I'm going to get a 5 out of 10. I like it. I officially put you and keep you in charge of the meter. You are the keeper of the meter. You're the meter keeper, Duff. He's the meter keeper. Um, next, we have in the year 4545, you ain't going to need your teeth, won't need your eyes. You won't find a thing to chew. Nobody's gonna look at you. Dystopia rating. <laughs> sounds great. Yeah, it sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> I don't. I don't know, guys. I kind of like having my teeth and eyes. Like, not a big fan of chewing. I mean, look, you, you're still gonna have them. You're just not gonna need them. <sighs> no one's gonna look at you, Trevor. I know you've always wanted. That is that. true. That does sound pretty appealing. If you can get that last thing, uh, I don't really care about the rest of it. Duff, dystopian rating. Ah, uh, three, three out of ten. <laughs> I like it. Let's keep going. Uh, in the year 5555, the only four-digit repeating sequence year we will cover. Good trivia. Your arms hanging limp at your sides. Your legs got nothing to do. Some machines doing that for you. Sign me up. Yeah, sounds pretty cool. I'm going to give the dystopian meter here a straight up negative five. I mean, it's not like a, it's not like a paradise, but I think it's an improvement. Okay. Next, we have the year uh, 6565. 6969. In the year 6565, you won't need no husband, won't need no wife. You'll pick your son, pick your daughter too. 
from the bottom of a long glass tube. You can feel him really think he's hitting you with one on that lyric, too, the way he delivers that. Like, wait, did it get a load of this tube line? <laughs> well, I mean, the destruction of the familial unit and basically just, you know, reproduction and all the things that come with it, I, I feel like he is kind of like... Talking about something that's a, that's a little a little ominous there. Children of men. What am I supposed to feel about getting my child from a long glass tube? Well, am I supposed to feel like upset that there's no more childbirth and labor? That's the, a miracle of human nature. And the so. way I look at it as a, as a single person is like I could you know rear a child on my own potentially. That's kind of nice. Speaking as your very close friend and podcasting co-host. You should never have a child. <laughs> Too born or otherwise. Thanks, buddy. Next up. Oh, wait. First, we need a dystopia rating. Duff. Duff. Dystopia uh, rating. Long, zero. I don't <laughs> care about this. Artificial insemination already exists. Who cares? Yeah, it happened in the 70s, didn't it? It was a thing I read. There was an article that was like, this song predicted it. And then, you know, the world continued. Next. Admittedly, this is where things starts to definitely get real in this song. Lucky number seven. Which I think is also why there's a key. Isn't there a key change here as well yeah i think here's where we're really getting into the thick of those key changes shit's hitting the fan all right here we go in the year 7510 if god's a coming he ought to make it by then maybe he'll look around himself and say guess it's time for the judgment day dystopia rating that's a kind of an arbitrary decision what's up with all the soft language yeah i guess it's time for the judgment day i guess <laughs> maybe he'll look around maybe he'll, he, you know what he ought to make it by then you're like that deep blue something song about i guess we both kind of like breakfast at tiffany's at this point when god shows up in your dystopian song let him stomp on in uh, he was trying to account for traffic i think duff the lord has returned to the earth all right so what happened in seven thousand is god is considering judgment day is Am I to understand that correctly? No. It, there's a possibility that God might be considering judgment. Day. If he's gone here. <laughs> pretty dystopian. Even the even the sort of Russian roulette threat of judgment day feels pretty dystopian. I'll bump that up to like a an eight out of ten. Fast forward, uh, we got in the year eighty-five ten. God is gonna shake his mighty head. He'll either say, I'm pleased where man has been, or tear it down and start again. Takes him a thousand years? What was he doing? No, no, he was doing an audit. He had to, like, you know, check some shit out. What were you doing this whole time up there? Were you just, like, coasting up there? You weren't paying attention to anything while you were, like, supposedly watching over us in heaven? Maybe he wanted to surprise himself. Duff, sounds like there's, like, a 50-50 shot at Judgment Day in 8510. Dystopia rating? Uh, unchanged since last time because it said the exact same thing in the last one so eight out of ten. that's gonna be a chill millennium to be alive dark let's find out in the next one in 9595 do we in fact find out if it happened in the year 9595 i'm kind of wondering if man is gonna be alive Jeez, he's taken everything this old earth could give and he ain't put back nothing so now it's a climate change thing so we're just abandoning the Ryan scheme at this point. <laughs> and the whole God deciding whether it's going to be Judgment Day or not narrative. Well, I guess it's touched on because he's not sure if we're still here. I don't, I don't know about this one. Uh, I don't even know if you can make a dystopia rating off of this one because 
He's not really saying anything. He's mentioning environmentalism and saying that we've been bad at replenishing Earth's natural resources. Does he really think it's going to take like 9,000 years for those chickens to come home to roost? Like we got <laughs> we got nine, almost 10,000 years to just coast, just burning fossil fuel, just deforesting the Amazon. This song is what the conservative people in our country point to when they're denying climate change legislation. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the pressing issue. No more husbands and wives. The environment wets them further down the line. It's like towards the end of the three minutes. You don't even have to listen that long if you don't want. Is that all the years? No, we we have one last vignette. Now it's been 10,000 years. Man has cried a billion tears for what he never knew. Now man's reign is through. But through eternal night, the twinkling of starlight so very far away maybe it's only yesterday <laughs> and then the song like and then the song like starts over it doesn't even have an ending yeah it just keeps going yeah that's that's a that's a rundown of all of the doomsday and in, in the year 2525 and uh yeah i gotta say pretty optimistic if like inconclusive i mean the worst thing that happens in this song is maybe at some point god gets mad at us yeah there's a chance like you know we're keeping an eye on it basically if he fucking gets here <laughs> <laughs> Now that we've made it through that marathon, I think it is finally time to start the backstory of Zager and Evans. So these are two dudes who met at Nebraska Wesleyan University in 1962. Zager would tell Forbes magazine in 2020, I saw him play at a fraternity party. I was in a band that I wasn't really happy with as these guys were more interested in partying than playing. And I was looking to put a duo together, kind of like Simon and Garfunkel. That sounds like a dork. All of Rick's lyrics had a very unusual nature about them that kind of caught me off guard. I spoke with them after the show and the rest, as they say, is history. Two strikes against them already. They One, they're frat boys. <laughs> Two, they're like RA frat boys who are like, can y'all keep it down out there? Trying to be like Simon and Garfunkel right now. So they formed this band, The Eccentrics. Uh, they recruited another Wesleyan student, Danny Schindler, to play drums with them. And two years later, they released their first single, Share Me, on Applause Records. It became a modest regional hit, uh, climbing to number 11 on the Lincoln, Nebraska radio station KLMS Nifty 50 in September of 1964. But they did, unfortunately, fail to gain any kind of like national traction because a lot of people apparently saw them as, as like a poor imitation of Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. You guys want to listen to this? I don't feel strong about Frankie Valley, so I'm not lacking my chances here. I'm a Jersey boy. I can appreciate some Frankie Valley. Put it on. Ooh, ooh, wah, ooh. 
Yeah, I mean, wow, wow, we Solid, <laughs> solid diet edition of Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, I would say. They sound exactly as good as a Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons cover band from Lincoln, <laughs> Nebraska would probably sound. Shortly after this qualified success, Evans would spend only 30 minutes penning in the year 2525. I mean, I, mean, I believe it 100% that it only took him a half hour. What about a second draft, buddy? What about <laughs> another draft, baby? Probably would have only taken him another five minutes to come up with an actual verse for the titular year, right? Or or maybe a chorus? God forbid he wrote a chorus. <laughs> so the next part of the notes say that the other members of the band considered it, quote, too dark, and it was shelved. Do you think they were just being polite there? And they were like, oh, buddy, I don't know. That's a little, that was a little dark. That was so intense. I don't know if we, I don't know if it would do well on the radio. It's too, it's like, it's, it's too intelligent. It's too intimidating. It's too, it's too edgy, dude. I don't know if it's ready. You're too ahead of the curve. Let's, let's put that one on the shelf. Maybe, maybe at some point we'll dust it off in the future, but I don't know. It's like that one lyric in that, uh, in that Jay-Z song where he's like, I'm so gangster, pretty chicks don't want to fuck with me. And you're just like, that's something your buddies told you <laughs> when you were sad that no pretty women wanted to date you. Jay, too gangster. He really ate his own words, didn't he? So they did record a second single called Nighttime Noontime, but that flopped. And uh, <laughs> drummer Dan Schindler was then drafted to fight in the Vietnam War. Oh, shit. Do we know what happened to him? Did he make it home? Uh, hold for the Google. This dude died at Nam. It's going to be a real bummer. <laughs> Dan Schindler is a world-class shooting instructor at the Paragon School of Sporting. Respected worldwide. Cool. So Dan Schindler, I guess, left to go shoot a lot of Vietnamese people. And uh, as a result, the eccentrics disbanded. However, in 1999, they were inducted into the Nebraska Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Cool. It's an honor. I've long talked on this show about how I really want a Grammy, but I think now more than that, I just want to get into the Nebraska Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Let's talk about what, when, right. Bum, bum, bum. Major key version of the what went wrong music. Two years later, Danny and Rick would reunite and begin working together again, this time as a duo under the name Zager and Evans performing primarily as a lounge act in the Lincoln area. And Evans would dust off in the year 2525, and before long, it became their signature song, with audiences requesting it at every show. I'm so confused by this paragraph in the notes. Why? When I think about, like, lounge acts and lounge music, I think about, like, stuff that I would just want to put on and kind of, like, in the background and relax to. Tall and long and thin and lovely. Yeah, something like that. I can't imagine going to, like, going to, like, a bar and meeting my friends for a drink, and then all of a sudden this dude with an acoustic guitar on stage rips into in the year 2525 and just one guy no full instrumentation i'd be like buddy buddy read the room okay we don't want to hear about this stuff right now we're just trying to chill maybe it speaks to the pace of life in lincoln nebraska maybe the rest of your day is so kind of already at that lounge chill that you're just looking to feel something yeah maybe maybe nebraska lounge audiences are just are really out here for like intellectually stimulating kind of light sci-fi folk do the one where we all die yeah. <laughs> so weird. anyway inspired by this song's live success 
they decided to take a chance and they hired a new drummer, Dave Trupp. I don't know if he's ever shot anybody. (laughs) They also hired another bassist, Mark Dalton, to record the song with them in a little tiny studio in the middle of a cow pasture in Odessa, Texas. Nice shit studios. Dalton recalls, we recorded that song with just Trupp and me and Rick Evans playing acoustic guitar. It might have been one take. We'd rehearsed it a lot in Lincoln before we went down. The singing part of it took hours and hours to get the vocal harmonies right. And then they brought in some musicians from the Odessa Symphony. You know it was a boom town because it had a symphony to finish it off. We made some money off that. For $25.25, Rick gave us 50 bucks a piece and paid our expenses to Texas and back. $50 for a guest instrument performance on a hit number one song. I'm going to see how much that is in 2020. Max, but I didn't even hear a word of that because I was I was spinning out on the idea that the vocal harmonies in 2525 took hours. <laughs> it's just Zager doing all the years. He just goes in the year. He just does one higher. He just goes up a, up a fifth from just on the years. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh, oh, I, I know what to tell you. $50 in 1968 is equivalent to in purchasing power to about $373.97 in 2020. How many uh, Harvey Danger cassettes could you get in 1996 for $50 in 1968? The world may never know. You imagine you're just busting your ass in Lincoln, like getting to the point where you can do your, your bass and your drum in one take, and they're probably being real taskmasters like, <laughs> we can't blow it when we get to that studio, so y'all better play your hearts out. And then they get down there, and they're just, like, trying to figure out the vocal harmonies in the studio. How indulgent. Next, Zager and Evans borrowed $500. From whom? To press the single to uh, this song, and they released it on their own label, quote-unquote, Truth Records, under its seldom-used full title in the year 2525, parentheses, Exordium and Terminus. Rick and Denny sent the record off to dozens of radio stations and promoted it themselves over the phone and in studio. And before long, it was getting sizable airplay in a few cities, resulting in a demand far beyond the initial run. I wish I had the fucking spoons to write a song like 2525 and then try and convince people to listen to it. Start a record label based on this one song and spend all of your money to press this one song. Like, basically stake your entire life on it. I got a question for y'all. The 30 minutes that that Rick Evans took to write this song, do you think like five of those were for him to crack the thesaurus and look up beginning and ending so that he could get Exordium and Terminus? Dave Trupp said, we had like 5,000 copies made and we came back and sold them out of a trunk of a car like you know those people who like bother you in the walmart parking lot to have you buy their mixtape that was zager and evans real Real diy shit i guess so and we actually have a link to listen to the original independently released version of in the year 2525 before it was picked up by the majors you guys want to give a listen to that let's check it out in the year 2525 take one in the year 2525 See if you can notice if the differences still alive, I do If woman can survive They may find In the year 
So is it just like the finished version without the mariachi? Trumpet? I think it seems like mostly what was added by the, the RCA records was remixing to make it sound better on AM radio. And yeah, those mariachi trumpets. Okay, I think, uh, guys, I think that mix, I mean, yes, it didn't have the intro brass and stuff, but I thought that mix was way more, had way more presence, was much less muddy. I like where everything was. I felt like it was much punchier. I mean, maybe I'm going crazy. Can we listen to the other one? Can we do a comparison? Yep. Yeah, let's, let's do a little A and B. And this is, uh, Duff, I don't know if you know a ton about AM Records mastering. I don't know a lot about this either. But from what I understand um, through learning about Linda Perhack's album Parallelograms, which is a great album, but it was recorded in a high fidelity environment with these beautiful folk arrangements. And then they wanted to release it to AM radio, which um, had a noticeably lower fidelity. So the records themselves got their fidelities lowered and they just sounded worse. So I think we might be able to hear a little bit of that going on with this officially released version of In the Year 2525 by RCA Records. Let's take a listen to that real quick. In the year 2525 If man is still alive If woman can survive They may worse i think it's worse yeah this is worse yeah i would say the earlier version is mixed better i'm already so sick of hearing this song it's real bad <laughs> buddy do i have news for you they sold out of this like initial run in about a week apparently wow they made more and a bunch of record people got interested in it and they like flew in and flocked to to zayer and evans uh those record people included jerry weintraub of RCA Victor Records. Who's that? That's a guy who you just know he's an A and R. He just he just got the he just has the A and R name. Weintraub you know? from A and R. Weintraub from A and R. Hell I think yeah. He knew Greenberg. Maybe he was Greenberg's dad. Yeah, or Greenberg's like mentor or something. All A and R's are related. You know that. It's a family business. Jerry Weintraub was impressed by the record's regional success and picked it up with the intention of giving it a national release. I don't know how to react when you when you read copy like that. I'm not sure what emotional reaction I'm supposed to have. Welcome to my fucking life, Duff. <laughs> listen, listen, man. People, it, it, it's it's it's. Next up, the label credited Zager and Evans as producers, but RCA staff producer Ethel Gabriel was given the master to see if she could enhance its sound. So may, it sounds like it might be Ethel's fault. Good old Ethel on the boards, really fucking it up. She yeah. sounds like, like an old lady or something you could barely see, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, she probably couldn't hear so good, so she was like boosting frequencies that like she can't hear, and then everybody else is like, oh boy, why is it so middle heavy? Well, wait, y'all. Arranger Bobby Christian remixed the strings and brass, adding a mariachi band while burying the brass instruments at certain points in the song to make the vocals and strings a little more prominent. I do think it was a good choice on Bobby's part to add in that mariachi horn. That's probably my favorite musical element about the song. It's a good contribution. Three weeks after its release in June of 1969, 25 
of 25 would climb to a staggering number one on the Billboard charts where it would stay for the next six weeks, including the day that Neil Armstrong made his iconic moonwalk across the moon. Duff. Two questions. Yeah. <laughs> One, is there any insider information as a former member of the CIA that you could give us about, you know, the moon landing? We landed on the moon for real. The cameras didn't work. We staged the televised landing simultaneously when we figured out it wasn't going to be able to be broadcasted. So we got, we brought Kubrick in ah. into the warehouse with the wires and we had the stand-ins. And also, Neil didn't know until he got back. He thought he'd gotten on TV and everything. He was all excited. Was that Neil's actual voice coming in over the broadcast? Yeah. Or, was that, or did you guys do that in kind of like ADR? I think, I actually think that uh, that, that was Ricardo Montalban who played... Uh, who played the Joker in uh, in the 1966 Batman? I've, among I've other things. always said that <laughs> the famous Neil Armstrong quote, "When you listen to it, sounds like it was read by the Joker." <laughs> All right, so second question, or really more of a prompt: speculate as to why you think this song went to number one on the Billboard charts. I think it had a lot to do with the kind of uprising of question the narrative thinking and the social awareness moment that was happening. You know, there was like the, it was the Great Awakening. This is, this is 1968. This is Summer of Love coming up on the culture. And the feeling was just like, we want our entertainment to have substance. We're ready to have smart people songs. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe just like not enough of a keen sense of irony to realize that it's also kind of cringe. Was cringe a thing in the 60s? I don't think it was. Maxon, do you know any boomers? No. Or do they have any concept of cringe? No. No, they were bored from this era, the 25-25 era. There's no <laughs> 90s eye-rolling going on. It's just like, yeah, the people got to hear this song about how maybe at some point God will show up and then he might or might not be angry. If he even fucking gets here. I just want to say, that's a bummer piece of trivia. The the <laughs> song that was number one during the moonwalk, that should be a cool piece of trivia. Yeah. 1968, like what, uh, sitting on the dock of the bay, would have been cool or Jumpin' Jack Flash. Cross the pond with our brothers in the UK. In London. In London. The duo would see similar success in 25-25 top the UK singles charts for three weeks from August to September. To this day, Zager and Evans remain the only recording artists to ever score a US and UK number one, never to chart another single again in either country. I'm trying to think of all the other massively successful songs I've heard and just like in the moment how annoyed I was by just how inescapable they were at the time. You know, you couldn't go anywhere in 2013 without hearing Blurred Lines, for example. Sure. Can you imagine 2525 just being everywhere like you couldn't go like into yeah, a you're restaurant trying to, buy, trying to buy a vest at Abercrombie and Fitch and it's just playing yeah that'd be rough man I wouldn't want to lived back then people who did live back then wanted them to cover the song in all sorts of different languages the song has been covered at least 60 times in seven languages and Zager and Evans would actually record an Italian language version themselves for their market where the song peaked on Italian charts at number 37 do we want to listen to in the year 2525 italian dub real quick see if that fixes it i guess we should we've come this far june july 
it's pure cacophony. Oh, that does not rhyme at all. Awful. So bad. Sounds like they did an even worse job mixing this one. (laughs) Just an absolute train wreck. Mamma mia. That is not a spicy pizza ball. Well, in August, Zager and Evans were invited to perform at a little festival called the Woodstock Festival. And then they would appear on a little program called... American Bandstand. Nice. I bet both of those appearances went really well. Uh, You would think so, right? Unfortunately, while leaving Lincoln Club, the Grand Royal after a gig one night, intending to drive straight to American Bandstand Studios in Philly, Evans was hit by a drunk driver and injured. Party foul. Both the bandstand appearance and their Woodstock set were canceled as a result. Bummer. Bummer, guys. Too bad. In the year 1968, you'll get hit by a drunk driver and you'll be late. What else were they going to play at their set? Are they going to like break out the old Frankie Valley song? You know how the song just doesn't end? They oh, could just God. keep playing it. <laughs> God, for like half an hour or so. <laughs> My worst nightmare. Yeah, Trevor, exactly. I've, been to, I've been to Woodstock a number of times. Some of the bands, like Country Joe and the Fish, just did like three songs. Wow. And then took off. Also, Woodstock sucks. Man. Really? I mean, I've had to go there on missions before. It sucks. Like, the sound's really well, bad. Well, you probably never got to do any drugs or do any bucking or do all the cool stuff, right? Okay, but half the drugs were the tainted acid, the brown acid, so most people were just getting super aggro or freaked <laughs> out. Everybody smelled bad, and the sound was terrible. It got super muddy, but like cold, wet mud. It was terrible. Yeah, it doesn't sound that great when you put it like that. But that also sounds like every music festival I've ever been to. Yeah, I mean, they're all kind of miserable. Not in 2020. We need music. Everything's dead. Help us. So despite the whole Woodstock and American Bandstand thing not happening, RCA still were pretty sure they'd found the next big thing in in Denny and Rick, which brings us to what went wrong. Yeah, great timing. An LP of selections from Zager and Evans live repertoire, 2525 open parentheses, exordium and terminus, close parentheses, was released in July of 1969, peaking at number 30 on the Billboard album charts. However, RCA Victor deemed that none of the other songs in the record were suitable for a single release. And so the duo went back in the studio to begin work on LP number two. From these sessions, a song was selected to be their second single, Mr. Turnkey, a highly questionable decision. What was wrong with it? Well, Trevor, Mr. Turnkey tells the story of a rapist in Wichita Falls who's been convicted and he's telling his tale of regret to a prison guard. The music is unsuitably jaunty and the song treats its subject with pity verging on sympathy. Even in the vastly different political and social climate of the times, Mr. Turnkey was commercial poison, debuting at 106 on the Billboard charts before disappearing forever. So they were rape apologists. I. They just made like a their follow-up statement to 2525 was this poor rapist? I, guys, as much as I don't want to do this, I think we have to listen to Mr. Turnkey. Yes. All right. Oh, boy. Okay. It's time. Kind of blowing my mind that this is even a thing. Brace yourselves for Zager and Evans, Mr. Turnkey. It is jaunty. Mr. 
a turnkey. It's 10 p.m. in Wichita Falls, August 16th, 1969, and I'm in some bar. Nice. Mr. Turnkey, I need a woman and I ain't getting far. Hmm. I never was the kind of man a woman looked for. First wave incels. Mr. Turnkey, she looked at me with flirting eyes. Mr. Turnkey, she was lovelier than oil rights. What? Then what? Mr. Turnkey, she led me on. No! She knew she wasn't gonna let me love Turn this off! We should at least hear the chorus. Oh, are they pulling another Zegger and Everett's? Are we not going to get one? Mr. Turnkey, I forced that girl in Wichita Falls. Mr. Turnkey, I'm sitting here crying in the coveralls. Mr. Turnkey, don't want to be the man I am. Oh, barf. Oh, barf. Mr. Turnkey, I'm calling from block number four. Mr. Turnkey, you ain't never seen nothing like this before. Hmm. Mr. Turnkey, I've nailed my left wrist to your wall. I'm a going home. Mr. Turnkey, I'm a calling from block number four. Mr. Turnkey, there's no chorus. Or is it all the chorus? Mr. Turnkey, I'm crying. Hanging No. no! Oh, God dang it. No! So, so how many different languages did they record this one in? <laughs> <laughs> guys, I listen, I gotta yeah, I hate suck. these guys. I hate uh, them. At, at, at least the guy died. <laughs> oh, my God. That was probably the worst song we've ever played on this show. I can't believe that. Congrats to Mongoloid by Devo. You are no longer the most offensive track <laughs> we've played on this program. Cut to Mark Mothersbaugh holding his holding his whippet and celebrating. You know what Mongoloid has? Mongoloid has a chorus. <laughs> First of all, shame on RCA. Yeah, wow. What were the what was anybody there thinking? I feel like we've seen record labels pull much harsher moves than refusing to release your rape apology follow-up single. But like Okay, if they just included it on the album, that's one thing. Because you're going to bury a bunch of filler and bad stuff on like the second album of your one-hit wonder. This was the cream of the crop from LP2. They were like, yeah, I guess it'll be this one. These guys just think, this is our niche. We make pop music that's about really heavy stuff. We're provocateurs, Evans. Were they just edgelords? They were just edgelords. I think they might have been proto-edgelords. I don't... They don't strike me as incels. They were frat boys. They don't strike me as incels, though. This is an incel song, but these people don't strike me as incels, though. Someone challenge me on that, please. I think Maxton is saying that they just seemed like such nice boys, and based on what I know of their character, (laughs) they would never do something like that. Anyways, the next year in 1970, they released. Hang on, wait, hang on. I don't leave yet. I have, I have, I don't. This train can't leave the station. Are I have you gonna, one are more you gonna say it? What you want to say? Here's the thing about this song, though. The feeling of existential dread that was attempted to be communicated on in the year 2525. 
I did feel it listening to this song. I've got to say, it wasn't a pleasant experience. It's kind of like watching a Lars von Trier movie where you're like, oh my God, I don't want to look at this, but I'm also like weirdly intrigued and I'm not going to turn it off because I like challenging cinema. I'm going to watch Sallow. Yeah, but like, but it feels like the, the hands at work are not crafting an experience thinking like the role of artist to provoke. It seems like they're just they're just throwing stuff at the wall and they have terrible taste. And the other thing is, it's funny that the first thing we heard from these guys was a ripoff track because this sounds like a one-to-one Simon and Garfunkel, except without any of like the charm. All the charm sucked out of a Simon and Garfunkel song. And here you have a Zager and Evans joint. Music for people who think Simon and Garfunkel are in general too hard on rapists. <laughs> Holy shit. We got to move on. We got to move on. It was just, that was the worst thing that's ever happened, that song. Keep going. Worse than your least favorite piece of media of all time. She's, She's having, having my, my baby. baby. I mean, look, it, they're in the same ballpark. Okay. I, I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to sit down and study. For more on, on Duff's least favorite song ever, check out episode two of Play It By Ear with Duff Dixon. Next, in 1970, after their third single, Listen to the People failed to chart, and their accompanying eponymous second LP, Zager and Evans sold poorly rca victor dropped the group but not after you know they gave him a fair shake we're gonna give you two singles from this record you know you only got one from the last one we're gonna we're gonna give you listen to the people as well hopefully that song's not about you know listening to the people on death row for committing horrible crimes wouldn't surprise me have y'all ever felt like you were rooting against that artist you were profiling on the show oh, man this might be the first I time i feel like we are in general a little kinder to people than we are being at the moment but to be fair none of the artists we've discussed on past episodes have ever in a rape apology single. that's a good point some of them peed on wide swaths of people but nobody's ever written Rape Apology, the song. These guys pressed it to vinyl and released it as their first single from their sophomore record. They also pressed to vinyl one more final album in 1971 entitled Food for the Mind uh, on the primarily classical music-focused Vanguard Records. Were there any singles from the record, Trevor? No. <laughs> but here's a highlight from it. A cover of a... Depression era standard, Brother Can You Spare a Dime, which includes samples of newsreel audio. These guys sound like some real intellectuals. Let's give a listen to Zager and Evans with Brother Can You Spare a Dime. Maybe this song is about their music career. Like this more than anything else I've heard from them so far. It's got that Chicago sound. For sure. Huh. 
That is Brother Can You Spare a Dime from Zager and Evans. I guess that's a cool example of like an early song that incorporates samples into it. That is something cool about it I hadn't previously considered. I actually was just thinking about how much I actually enjoyed the snare sound. But the main thing I was thinking about is how these dudes' careers are kind of plagued by ripoffs. And this is a Beatles ripoff. It's got like a British dance hall kind of vibe to it, yeah. Okay, it's heavy-handed, of course. It's very mm-hmm. heavy-handed. But at least like musically since it's it was written by legitimate songwriters it like yeah. works as a piece of music they benefit from covering songs written by other people for sure agree and i guess sampling things that other people say in congress but as much as we kind of liked that it was critically and commercially ignored sucks as a result zager and evans kind of became a hazy relic of the 60s only three short years after their chart topping success wow after that they parted ways as collaborators, but they remained friends. How uh, how sad? Um, because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no good. I, look, they do sound like good buds. I mean, when they're harmonizing with each other on twenty five twenty five, there's a chemistry there. There's an intimacy between the boys that, like, I think you can kind of sense. Best case scenario is y'all put down those guitars, just go to Six Flags, <laughs> hang out, just crack open a few beers. Maybe they too were ready for uh, what came next. Let's talk about what came next. So next, Rick Evans would continue to record and release music. In the mid-1970s, he released an LP, a duet with Pam Hubert called I Need This Song. But this release made such little impact that little information exists about the release. Wouldn't it be interesting if every song was titled after the exact opposite reaction that its intended audience had? So basically, I dig through Google as much as I could, and I couldn't even get an exact release year, couldn't get samples of any of the songs. It's going for like pretty high on Discogs, like 50, 60 bucks. Uh, I couldn't even get any information about the career or identity of Pam Hubert, and I did look. Pam Hubert, come on the show if you're out there. <laughs> so in the late 1970s, Rick went on to form a new record label called Fun Records, which I think there's something ominous about that. <laughs> if I'm reading like a musician's biography and like I hear that they're like establishing something called Fun Records, I'm assuming they're only a couple months like away from a major breakdown or even like a suicide or like being raided by the federal authorities like in Waco, Texas or something. It's a real like Brian Wilson slash Daniel Johnston. Yeah, move. definitely. Like, sure. I'm making this new thing called fun records. We're just going to have fun and it's going to be fun songs. And everything <laughs> is going to be great. Famous last words. Famous last words indeed, because in the late 1970s, Rick's last LP would be called Fun Songs slash Think Songs. That also has like big ominous mental health vibes. Fun songs and (laughs) think songs. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Fun songs, think songs. It's eerie. That's so Daniel Johnson. I'm uncomfortable and worried here. But <laughs> apparently the A side of the record collected quote unquote silly material and the B side <laughs> was composed of quote unquote serious material are we supposed to be like wow rick really had a concept this time what a thinker (laughs) an early concept record there you go you don't you hear people talk about the wall you hear people talk about sergeant peppers you never hear people mention fun songs slash (laughs) think songs (laughs) rick evans really blazed the trail for the concept album at the end of the 1970s (laughs) maybe one of the reasons why you never hear about this thing though is because it was received like so poorly it was never actually digitally archived 
In contrast, Denny Zager, on the other hand, would begin to make a living as a guitar instructor, developing his own system, the Zager Teaching Method, which focuses on learning by ear rather than focusing on chords and scales. Hoping to modify a guitar to make it easier for his students to learn on, Zager began to experiment with customizations, such as respacing the strings, lowering the fret height, and redesigning the neck, bracing systems, and saddle. The result was the Zager Easy Play Guitar, which allowed students to practice for three to five times longer because it's less painful to play. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. I'm getting big snake oil vibes from this man. He's like, uh, yeah, I got a way you can learn to play guitar. You'll need to read music. And also, you got to get one of my guitars because they're actually way better to play on. <laughs> to me, this just sounds like dude just seamlessly transitioned into Huckster. The Gwyneth Paltrow playbook. Well, it sounds like it worked out for him because not only like was it adapted by like a lot of people learning to play guitar, but it also started to catch the favor of more experienced players such as Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Tom Bowes, Godsmacks, Aaron Lewis, <laughs> and even former Arkansas governor and presidential candidate, Mike Huckabee. Oh my God, Mike Huckabee! AKA, Mike fucking Suckabee. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Zager made out pretty well. I feel like you're looking at like a case of like the, the virgin Rick Evans versus the Chad Danny Zager. <laughs> like Rick Evans, like, Launched a label and it <laughs> failed. He put out a concept album and it failed. Danny Zager, on the other hand, is, is like, you know, he got out of the music game and he made up this weird guitar that lets you practice for three to five times longer and everyone fucking loves it. So, you know, good for him. Fast forward to, you know, one of our favorite dates to return to here on this little program, uh, 9-11. <laughs> Following the September 11th terrorist attacks, the song was included in the famous Clear Channel Memorandum distributed by Clear Channel Communications, known today as iHeartRadio, to every radio station owned by the company, which owned 165 songs considered to be lyrically questionable in the wake of the tragedy, along with other fellow one-hit wonders, Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky, and Nina's 99 Luff Balloons, or 99 Red Balloons. There you go, that's another Norman Greenbaum connection. I do remember us talking about the Clear Channel Communications memorandum way back on that first episode. And then, in the year 2525, got featured in the films Small Faces, Tunnel Rats, and The Gentleman Broncos, none of which I have ever seen or heard of. I haven't heard of any of those movies. Anything else worth bringing up about this song before we get into the covers? Yeah, there is one thing I will mention and not just skip over like I almost did last time. In February of 2018, Evans passed away in his home in Santa Fe of natural causes. There was no official coverage of his death in the national media, apart from the Lincoln Journal star nearly a year and a half later. And in the spring of 2019, recordings from Evan's private collection of original tapes began appearing on eBay as his estate was being disposed of by his relatives. Damn, and none of them wanted the tapes. That's cold. Wow. Do you think that like his bloated corpse was in his house for a year and a half until the Nebraska Rock and Roll Hall of Fame called <laughs> to ask if he would come do a new induction? I like to think that Zager found him. <laughs> oh, damn. Because I imagine they were friends right up till the end. That's real dark. Maybe with Evans kind of harboring a grudge against Zager for being so successful with that 
teaching method and the easy play guitar while Evans never found any subsequent success himself. The Chad Zager versus the Virgin, Evans goes even till like one dies and one continues to live a happy, successful life. If Evans can survive, <laughs> if Zager's still alive. <laughs> Oh, I wanted to do this one, too. I wanted to do this one, too. This is one who wonders of the world. Okay, I had Let's nothing talk about else. some covers. That's what we could do. I was doing a little cover of the song myself. So let's talk about some real covers that actual people did of this song. The first cover that we have, a cover from the ex-frontman of the Stone Roses, Ian Brown. This is a real third act twist, Ian Brown popping up. I think I was not expecting to see somebody like him covering this song very weird let's give a listen to ian brown's version of in the year 2525 in the year 2525 if man is still alive if woman can survive they may find Workman cover. Pretty straight read there, Ian. That's what that sounds like. Yep. I was hoping for the trip hop cover of this song, and I really didn't get that. And I gotta say, I am a little disappointed that I didn't get that. Now that that's off my chest, let's continue to a version by Mary German easy listening duo, Nina and Mike. Here's Nina and Mike with uh, Was Word Sign in Seven Schaden. Dig that David Gilmore Pink Floyd guitar. I can deal with this boogie bass line. This is my favorite iteration of this song that we've heard so far, I think. Definitely. Oh, I like the turn taking. Also, something about me not having to listen to the lyrics in English makes this song better. Also an improvement. Just goes to show what can be achieved by an intimate interpersonal relationship, much like the kind that Evans and Zeger prophesize will be destroyed in the ensuing future. <laughs> or whatever. Yep. What's next? We're stuck in Europe. It's time for the Finnish version by Robin Pakalin. This is Robin Pakalin with... Vuana 2525. Oh, I pronounced it wrong. I'm sorry. It's fun. 
It's kind of surf rocky. Yeah, I enjoy this version. This is nice. This is pleasant. Once again, improved by the lack of English. Great. I feel like what we're learning is that it's hard to do worse with your arrangement than the original. Most of these like sound better. The bar is low. You know, hold on to your hats because we're getting into some wild shit here. Next up, we have Slovenian neoclassical slash industrial group Layback's cover of the song. This is Layback with 2525. In the Halo started up yet? What? Whoa, Is that a what's going on? Yeah. They changed the lyrics to be about modern-day atrocities instead of just, like, vague future predictions. This gets a big thumbs up from me. It was definitely the most unique take on the track we've heard so far. It's an improvement. I wouldn't put it on. Let's see if you would put on this next one, a goth metal version by Fields of the Nephilim. Can I answer now, or do we? Do I need to wait to hear the song? You have to hear the song first. This is nine and a half minutes, so we're gonna be here a while. Are you sure no, I can't? Are you we, sure I can't answer now? We're not gonna be here for a while. <laughs> Hearing the length of the track has only made me more confident in my answer. <laughs> There's no way I put it on. Is this the ghost of Evans that they summoned? Oh, It does make sense that like metal bands and industrial bands would be attracted to this song. Yeah, to yeah, me. definitely. I, I see why. It almost makes more sense as a metal song than as a like a folk song. Well, if you think that, wait till you hear the death metal version by Eternal Solstice. Love those blast beats. Oh my 
There isn't a death metal version of this one by Moby, too, is there? <laughs> there isn't a death metal version by Moby, but there is a dark wave version by Project Pitchfork. Never heard of him. You're about to. for those vocals. I was actually kind of enjoying that little craftworky synth bit. I think this song sounds like it should be about a calculator and how much fun those can be to operate. That sounds like something you would download on Morpheus and it's mislabeled as a different artist to me. Let's move forward. Here is the new wave version by Visage. Or Visage. Here's Visage. Vis okay, English major. Here's Visage within the year 2525. Cool. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. I bet all of these would sound really good, like layered over each other. Probably. This is maybe my favorite English language version. Yeah, I, I agree. It's got a bit of a vaporwave charm to it. That new wave 80s, you know, you spin me right round soft cell thing going on. Sure. Really, really like that vocoder intro because it, it finally made me feel like I was listening to a song about the future. That's true. That is probably the first one that really hit that, didn't it? Next, we have UK Hot House version by MU2. In the year 2525, the world will be again a whole dance club, the whole world. Much of the way that, like, it makes sense that metal acts were attracted to this, it also totally makes sense that, like, European EDM producers were attracted to this song to me. It all checks out. And we've got a bit more of that to go. Here is the EDM version by the Kit Builders. I love building kits. I love working out. Ah. One of my favorite things to put together, probably. I might say that the ultimate version of building a kit would be to get your son and your daughter too for the bottom of a plastic tube. You know, when you put it like that way, I'm not too scared of the future after all. If this doesn't have vocals, I might actually like it.
Oh. This isn't another one of your, like, I think they just dragged the MIDI into, a, like, GarageBand and set a bunch of different presets covers, is it? Nope, nope. Too much effort. Okay. Oh, there's the vocals. Sly. I don't like these vocals. The vocals are bad. We go to the next cover. The next cover is the house version by The Act. In the year 2525, if man is still alive. Oh, I like this. If woman can survive. <laughs> That's a crunchy vocal recording, man. It's 90s house. I'm here for it. I'm sorry. I'm totally here for it. Dude, you're going to argue with this organ? That organ is pretty good. Good organ. Dude, fuck yes. I'm, I'm here for this. Yeah, me too. I want the drop too. I'm, going, drop. I'm holding for the drop. Oh my fucking god. This is nice. This is nice. This is the best one, I think. We got a keeper. Very good. In the year 5455, it's really good. Oh, way better. It's so much better. Yeah, no, Nobody's this guy, that guy gets in the you. pocket, yeah, gives definitely. it the soul, gives it the, wow, that is, I can't believe that this guy completely fixed the song. The guest vocalist on this is Clinton the Third. He sold Clinton the Third, props to you. That, that was really something else. Uh, the act featuring Clinton the Third in the year 2525, probably my favorite of the covers that we've played, but we are not done. Here is a disco version by Enterprise, uh, the third group named Enterprise, according to Discogs. I'm also here for this. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm digging this. Another one for the keeper pile. Oh, I like that they don't do anything but the years. That's pretty cool. It also like it taps into the campiness of this song in a good way. So that's a pretty cool cover, I think, by Enterprise. Uh, in the year 2525, from their 1978 record, Enterprise. Just goes to show you dig through enough shit, sometimes you find a little bit of gold. I think I prefer that house one more. I'll put that one on before I put on the disco one. Mm. I'd throw them both in a DJ mix if I was spinning and it was a one-hit wonders covers only. We're out of the covers woods, but uh, we're not out of the parodies woods. Here is Futurama's parody of In the Year 2525. 
We can't go back in time, but we can keep going forward until people invent the backwards time machine. And then we can go home. Sound logic, Professor. In the year 105-105, if man is still alive, if robot can survive, Machine still won't have arrived in all the world. There's only one technology: a rusty sword for practicing proctology. Oh, in a future year that ends with a twenty, Merman's <laughs> gonna try to get shoving. He may look like a watery wing when in fact he's a bloodthirsty shrimp. In the year one million and a half. Humankind is enslaved by giraffe. Man must pay for all his misdeeds. When the treetops are stripped of their leaves, whoa. So this is funny, but I, I feel like if I were a writer on Futurama, I would never have the confidence to bring in in the year 2525 and try and convince the rest of the people working on the show that we should do a parody of it and include it in an episode. To me, that really stinks of like an old guard Simpsons producer who's like a high ranking writing producer at Futurama, like pitching that because he was alive during that yeah. time. And like none of the young pup writers being able to stand up to him and be like, that's really funny. Yeah. Yeah, I think I know that song. Yeah, yeah, that's probably exactly what it was. It actually, I, I mean, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna go here, but it kind of, it stressed me out a little bit because the increments of time were so large that it was kind of giving me like sensory flashbacks to my own shifts of time, you know? Sure. So I even felt my heart race a little bit. It just wasn't, it wasn't having the intended effect. Sorry, Futurama. But hey. Feel free to bite my shiny metal ass. If that one gave you, uh, you know, horrible, horrible anxiety, I'm sure this one uh, absolutely won't either. There's more parodies? Of okay. Yeah, uh, this one, this is a real affront to humanity right here. Here we have, in the year 2020, a coronavirus parody. Oh, no. Oh, yes. In the year 2020. Oh no! Already bad. If man is still alive. What's this person look like, Maxton? It's a pretty thin blonde girl. She has 200 YouTube subscribers. In the year 2020. Toilet paper will be far from Normalized antisocial behavior. Families learning how to get along. Are you f musicians like me posting stupid? Okay, songs. I can't do this anymore. I'm sorry. I gotta. I gotta stop. I. I, I Usually, I'm the one who stops the covers. I'm really sorry, uh, quirky YouTube white girl. But in the year 2020, coronavirus parody coming soon to an open mic near her as soon as like <laughs> gatherings get unbanned again. She's workshopping that thing. She gonna take it out. She gonna try it out to the coffee shop. As soon as she's allowed to. I'm sorry to downplay your experiences with massive amounts of time duff, but it feels like an eternity to me since toilet paper 
was the thing that I felt like I had to be concerned about. Like, how does this feel so impossibly dated, even though it's from this year? It's been actually, it's been in a way comforting to watch like so much of humanity go through what I went through, where you start to get that extensive time dilation that's kicked in for yeah. me probably about a thousand years into my into my initial shift. And yeah, I mean, I, I I perceive it a little less than you probably, but I know what you mean. It does kind of feel like already so old hat. Are we finally, are we done with this thing? Ladies and gentlemen, you made it through the year 2525 uh, with our good friend Duff Dixon. Duff, thank you so much for joining us on this truly incredible journey. We have one last part of the show to get to uh, the outro, but just want to thank you for coming on. I'm, I'm super happy you were able to stop by. Y'all, thanks so much for having me. It was really fun to like come here and see how the sausages was made. Very fun. You want to plug your show? You want to plug anything else? Uh, yeah, I guess so. If y'all want to listen to Play It By Ear, feel free to. You can look it up on Spotify or iTunes. I play songs from specific years um i think i think we got one coming up real quickly if you're listening to this now from uh 1982 so check it check that out over on spotify or on itunes or whatever making a timely plug under the assumption that maxton's gonna get the episode out immediately that's a bold move we'll see if it plays off bold move hopefully i'll be able to and maybe you can catch us on play it by ear with duff dixon tonight on the 1982 episode uh, or, you know, whenever you're listening to this on the 1982 episode on Spotify. But before any of that happens, we have to get into the outro for the show. Every episode of One Hit Wonders of the World, typically just Trevor and I create attributes for every songs. And we rate the attributes on any scale that we desire. But it must be the same scale per episode. But I'm hearing that Duff actually also brought a scale for tonight is that true Duff? i mean we could cut it because i mean we've oh, no. been here for a minute now let's cut the all shucks routine and get to your attributes all right we have been here for a minute and i would like to let the guest go first if that's all right with y'all i just took increments of time you know starting at the smallest and ending with the largest to talk about the things that i like the least up to the things that i like the most does that make sense sure yes I give the assaultively repetitive melody of this song one second. <laughs> sure. I give Rick Evans's accountant at karaoke night vocal performance one minute. <laughs> sure. I give RCA producer Ethel Gabriel's even muddier <laughs> hi-fi remix one hour. Fucking Ethel. I hope she was fired for that. I give Dave Tripp's can you make that out to cash shuffling drum pattern <laughs> one day? That dude just won his 50 bucks, man. He ain't doing nothing on here. $370 and $2020. I give the unobjectionable but forgettable strings one week. It's, it's been. been. <laughs> I, give the, I give the moderately sonically interesting mariachi brass one year. Great. I give Denny Zagar's uh, harmony part only requiring him to memorize the year numbers one decade. <laughs> sure. That was a great choice. He didn't have to learn any of those other words. Good call. I give knowing that a song about humanity's destruction can top uh the billboard charts one century that's like <laughs> one of the best things about this song for sure and then i guess my favorite element i give mark dalton's kind of psychedelic garage rock bass line which in my opinion is the only musically cool thing about this song one full 
graded on a curve by comparison millennia that do 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 so so nothing gets to the full 25 25 for you huh nothing gets up to 25 25 i'm cutting it off at the millennium but i do think that's like a pretty rollicking element that's got a little bit of bite to it duff i think you did great attributes trevor would you like to do your attributes now sure i'll do my attributes for this uh song i decided uh, each attribute would be a different doomsday scenario. Oh, that's and great. And I've arranged them from what I imagine to be the least likely to what I am pretty convinced by this point is going to be the actual end of the world. Awesome. Let's hear it. So my first attribute has got to go to that uh, mariachi brass, which sounds like it's right out of a spaghetti Western. I'm going to give that uh, a technologically advanced race of aliens that have depleted their own planet's natural resources. Nice. Who arrive on Earth and claim it as their own, exterminating the vast majority of the human race and taking the few survivors as slaves and breeding stock. (laughs) Wow. Okay, cool. So, you know, very likely. (laughs) No, no, that's the least likely. Oh, 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 sure. Next one's a little more likely. Uh, I'm going to give that one to the song's multiple key changes. I'm going to give the key changes an Iranian nuclear strike against Israel, which harkens the return of the Christian Messiah, Jesus Christ, (laughs) who ushers God's chosen faithful to paradise and leaves those left behind to endure the tribulations, an apocalyptic period of time that sees the rise of the Antichrist and a climactic battle between the forces of heaven and hell. If you could have made that rhyme, that would have been a better uh, fifth verse to the song. Would have been bad. Can you stop rhyming halfway through the song? You can just plug yeah, it in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm confused, Trevor. I don't think I'm tracking how the how these situations like reflect on your qualitative assessment of these features of the song. <laughs> Try not worry too much about that in the attributes section of the episode. <laughs> Anyway, my last attribute, uh, I'm going to give that one to just like simply the mere concept of a hit song about mankind being doomed by its passive acquiescence to and overdependence on its own technology. Uh, I'm going to give that concept uh, a shadowy cabal of religious zealots who manipulate government funded military programs into constructing a biotechnological machine into which they can consolidate and store the souls of everyone currently living in a singularity esque event bringing an end to the human race while simultaneously evolving it into a transhumanist god being that will be preserved for eons to come. I don't don't know what that is, but those are my attributes. That was beautiful. I brought a tear to my eye, Trevor. Again, that's the outcome that I think is the most likely to happen. What's weird is that I know how we all die, but I'm not allowed to tell y'all. Right, right. Of, Of course you do, Duff. Of course you do. Maxton, what are your attributes? I am going to completely freestyle my attributes. I do not have these written down at all. I just have my scale. It's a scale from negative 2525 to 2525. This really is happening in real time. The beautiful mariachi intro that kind of gets you to check out the rest of the song and see what it's all about. You know, the beguiling spaghetti western vibes of it all. I'm going to give that... Uh, 10,010 points. I think that's probably one of the biggest things the song has going for it. And gotta say, a good choice on the part of RCA Records to throw that in there. Uh, Even if their mix for the song gets negative 10,010 points. God damn it, Ethel. Oh, I have to say this once every episode. God damn it, record label fuckery. Check. Next, the really annoying key changes. I'm going to give those negative 1,500 
but I am going to give the song's original unadulterated mix that sounds so full and crisp and nice 1,500. You see, uh, as above, so below, y'all. All things are equal, you know? <laughs> Boy, the Maxton attributes have just been off the chain lately, y'all. There's, there's been a real pivot into just like, it feels like Maxton is like a drunken master in the <laughs> Kung Fu cinematic universe parlance, or or that he's like a wild stagecoach driver, and it, you're on this like jalopy of a stagecoach, and like the axles are coming off, and you're like, this guy's never going to get it over the camera. But then, like, he does, but in, like, a Looney Tunes way where everything kind of spins out and, like, maybe you hear some birds going, tweet, 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 because you're all dizzy. We're really flying by the seat of our pants. This has been a podcast called One Hit Wonders of the World. You can find us on the internet, on Twitter, where our handle is at One Hit Wondercast with numeral one out front. Send your impassioned emails and audio recordings to onehitwondercast at gmail.com, all spelled out, and I will put you on this dang show. But you'll honestly probably have a better time getting at me on Twitter. But if you don't want to do any of that, you can go to either of our new websites that I have just bought, onehitwondersoftheworld.com, which I know that's a lot to type out. Uh, so if you don't want to type that out, you could type in ohwow.link and you can go to our new homepage on Podient. If you want to remember that website name, just think what does Princess Zelda say when she looks out the window right before she's saved? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Link. <laughs> or just think about uh, Owen Wilson. Oh wow. wow. Link. Wow. Yeah, just think about what would happen if Owen Wilson met the protagonist from Legend of Zelda. <laughs> not ohwow.com, not ohwow.gov, not ohwow.info, ohwow.link. Ohwow.link. Link. There it is. That is the 15th episode of One Hit Wonders of the World. I think we're done. Trevor, I haven't let you talk at all. Uh, is there anything you want to say before I, uh, I close this baby up? No. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen thank you for another episode of one hit wonders of the world one that will supposedly be on time uh and the next episode will be on paris hilton's stars are blind i wonder if we'll get to meet god in this one god also to find out Paris Hilton is God? More next time. Thank you so much, Duff. Thank you so much, Trevor. I've been Maxton Stenstrom. I've been Trevor Ickrath. I've been Duff Dixon. Go Bruins! And until next time, uh, Duff, at, at the end of every episode, we have the guests say. I know I know what you have me say. Yeah, I'll say it right now. Hey, y'all. Y'all out there listening on your, on your, your mobile devices or your laptops. Y'all stay wonderful. <laughs> <laughs>